0: Hey everybody! Welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct. This is Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records. As always, Sean Rourke from NHL dot com is here with us as well. Right, Sean? Yes, I am here. I'm ready to go. He's there somewhere. And we have uh, back again. I think this is the first time we've had a repeat guest. I think, or has Drew Stafford been on twice? I can't remember anymore. But anyway, Mike no, Mc- Drew. Drew was only on once. All right.
1: It was only once. I think we had Joe Florentine on
0: twice. Well, oh, maybe Florentine was on twice. Well, anyway, the first a- real athlete we've had on twice. Mike McKenna from the St. Louis Blues. How are you, sir?
1: I'm great. I'm uh, I'm honored to be the first second time athlete. So it's uh, it's a cool cool honor. That's that's something I didn't uh, didn't really ever set out in life to do, but it's it's cool as hell. It's just fallen into that. I like it.
0: There you go. <laughs> well, you, you'll always have that that tag. So now you grew up in st louis missouri correct
1: i did yeah i spent my whole life here um i lived in the same house up until i finally moved out and then i got a house up the street and around the corner so i've been in suburban st louis you know 29 years now and it's amazing that you know this much down the road almost 30 years old i can still uh We'll sign a contract with the team I always wanted to play for. Well, so, that's, that's, what gonna, as,
0: that's what I was going to ask you, how amazing is it that your hometown team has now signed you to a contract?
1: It's flattering more than anything because there's only so many goalie spots out there, and you know a team has to want you first. It's not like you can just decide you're going to play for the hometown team, and that's always the question you get growing up. Is when are you going to play for the Blues? Or you know if you're from Minnesota, it's probably whenever. You're, when are you going to play for the Wild or something? But um you know we don't ever really think it's realistic it's always a long shot and it's even more of a long shot because there's 30 teams in the nhl and um so when they were interested in me this year and we've you know in the past we've kind of flirted back and forth but the timing's never been right uh in terms of whether they've had prospects moving along or i hadn't really established myself yet as a veteran or just different circumstances and so you know, this was the first year where everything just lined up properly and I-, I couldn't be happier I mean it really is, you talk about dreams coming true, it's it's one of those things, it doesn't matter how old I am and how long I've played it's it's still really exciting Yeah, and then one of the things that surface after you shine was uh, I guess it was from the goalie camp when you were a kid with uh, with somebody from the Blues, I mean it really has been a lifelong type thing, right? It has, yeah, especially because my family was got into hockey right at the ground floor level in St. Louis my grandpa was one of maybe a half dozen guys that used to travel two hours to Springfield Illinois just to find ice Um, and this was in the 50s before there any rinks existed with boards in St. Louis and so we have a long history with it and my grandfather was a linesman in the old Central League that had uh, the St. Louis Braves and other teams like that that was one of the feeder leagues for the NHL back then and he transitioned into being an off-ice official with the Blues that he did since their inception until it passed 15 years ago. And my dad's currently an off-ice official at St. Louis. So, you know, I had the luxury of growing up to, of, of when I was growing up, going to all the Blues home games, uh, on the, on the team dime because they gave two tickets to the off-ice officials. That's how they paid them. So, um, you know, it, it's amazing how it's worked and I can't imagine how, how proud or happy my grandpa would be because he really saw every incarnation of hockey in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, there, how many, there hasn't been that many players from St. Louis to, to make it this far, has there?
1: There hasn't been, but the numbers are growing very quickly. Um, I think at the last headcount, we're up to 13 kids that grew up in St. Louis. Maybe weren't born here, but grew up in St. Louis that have played a game in the NHL. Um, the number of draftees are growing. We've got high-end prospects all across the nation, and uh, my group of my group is really amongst the first—the '82s, '83s, '84s. Uh, the two Stastny brothers, Jan and Paul Stastny, found, spend most of their formative years in St. Louis, and so we consider them St. Louisans. This is still where they live in the summer. Um, Cam Jansen, myself, um, Chris Butler, Ben Bishop—you know, there's Brandon Bolig in Chicago. There, there's a list of guys at this point. Joe Vitali in Pittsburgh, and so you know we're proud of it, and we're, we're really happy to see hockey moving forward. But it used to be a non-traditional market, and now now people are actively recruiting this area, much like they are, you know, out in California. It's starting to be the same way.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. i oh,
1: sorry. Are you and Cam close? He, he's kind of a closet uh, borderline metalhead from uh, the time he was in Jersey. We had a few chats. I mean, he's more a little more mainstream, but he likes it. Uh, fast the lab when visit? Yeah, Cam and I are friends. I mean, we don't hang out all the time. We've we've gone to a couple of concerts together. We actually saw, uh, went to a Tool concert together a couple of years ago. Um, the best, you know, the best man of my wedding is one of Cam's good buddies too. And so we have, we got mutual friends and everything. And um, my buddy is a ser- he's a real metalhead too. And so we keep trying to get Cam going further and further down the heavier road, you know. And, and he's always like bands like Pantera and other heavy, fast stuff like that. It's more mainstream and, um, you know, the stuff that's on the radio, like he likes bands like Avenged Sevenfold and stuff, but I think the more we get him to listen to bands like, you know, like Lamb of God and kind of heavier, thrashier bands that are a little bit accessible, he's, he's starting to get into it. So he's turning a corner. (laughs) Keep keep it up, man. Maybe you can have some influence in the Jersey locker room because there's not much there. No, you know, I think, uh, I think Zuby's got a lock on the on the locker room uh, playlist. He really he's into the European techno and uh, and dance and house music, and everybody seems to enjoy it. So I think locker room music one of those things that you just kind of learn to deal with, or you just put your own iPod on because there just isn't. You're never going to make everybody happy in the room. More often than yeah. not, and for myself, for for anybody else that's a serious music fan, whether you're a metalhead or whether you're really into something else, you're probably not going to find it in the locker room. And we guys. I mean, it's hilarious. Rob, my my partner last year, Robin Lenners, he loves metal. He loves In Flames. He strums Sweden, and he's putting on the "Call Me Maybe" song in the locker room. Oh. <laughs> you never know. you just you never you never know what you're gonna get, but uh, it's it's always funny. Like if you come in there early someday, I had a teammate this year named Tim Convoy, and he was a big metal guy, like big metal hardcore kind of crossover. likes bands like. Spans, like Cancer bats and stuff like that, and he he'd come in and throw it on, and guys just give him a look, and I'd be in the corner with a big smile on my face.
0: <laughs> so, by the way, we're ta- as we tape this, two things are happening. <clears throat> One, we'll get to the a- activities of Mister McKenna in a moment, but before that, uh, the Olympics are actually going on at the moment, and I have to mention that swimmer a swimmer for Germany named Paul Biederman, who actually is the world record holder, in, I think the 200 freestyle or some one of these swimming things. Anyway, he's a massive Amana Marth fan. So uh, I just had to do a little shout out there since we're talking sports and metal. So there's actually a guy in the Olympics that's a huge Amana Marth fan. There's pictures of him with Amana Marth and wearing an Amana Marth shirt. So that was pretty cool. And the second thing that's happening now is that um, <clears throat> Mr. McKenna is. Making me very jealous because he's about to embark to Mid-Ohio for the Mid-Ohio IZOD IndyCar race that's happening this weekend as we tape this. So we got to talk some IndyCar because Mr. McKenna and myself both share the love of open-wheel racing. So why don't you give me your thoughts so far on how the season's gone?
1: Okay. Well, yeah, you know, before anything else, too, I want to touch on uh, the German swimmer because I saw you—I saw those pictures tweeted with him with the amount of Earth, the big Viking shirt on, and he's giving it the metal horns, and that's—that's that's really cool because there's metalheads everywhere. Like you guys know it because you're around it, but you know, you walk into a general setting and sometimes you'll be looking around and never know who's really into it. And there's a perfect example, right? So that's—that's that's cool. I'm not surprised that he's German though, because. Europeans tend to be a little more into this stuff, but that's true. Uh, in terms of the IndyCar series, it's been—I think—it's been phenomenal this year. And you know, the cornerstone event that everybody who's listening to our show might be familiar with would be the Indy 500. And this year was one of the best 500s of all time. I mean, there was passing galore—30 passes for the lead. It was a record. I mean, Takuma Sato goes for the win on the last lap and wrecks in Turn One, and it, it was been—it was outstanding. And um, I think the season's been great because just about every track besides maybe Detroit's had a really good race with a lot of action, and um, they introduced a new chassis this year that seems to be working really well on all the different tracks because IndyCar's such a diverse schedule. They run ovals, road courses, street courses, and it's been great. I've really enjoyed it, and I can't wait to get to Mid Ohio and, and do three days of camping before before training really kicks in for me again.
0: Yeah, it should be pretty cool. I've been I, I I think that this year's been super competitive. I mean the last couple of years has really just been Frank Keaty and Will Power who've kind of been battling it out all year. But this year, you know, Helio's in front now and um Ryan Hunter Ray, who's won three races right behind him, and Will Power. Scott Dixon's still in it. There's four or five guys that have a really very realistic chance to win, which obviously the more competition the better.
1: Yeah, for sure. And especially going into this stretch of races, they've all been doing well. It's not like there's been you know, one guy who's really fallen off, like I guess, Powers had a bit of hard luck recently, and Scott Dixon too, but you just know that they're going to be good on the road courses, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, especially a, a weekend like Mid-Ohio where um, you know, it's going to be on ABC, people are going to be able to see it, hopefully people watch, but it's going to be tough going up against the Olympics no matter what, but I keep having I kept having this thought, man. And I was hoping that I'd see Brian Segal from Metal Blade Records come into the place with a camper in tow or a big, you know, tour bus or something, flying the big Skull and Swords logo. Now, I was just hoping it would happen, but <laughs> I'm gonna not have to the, not it this either. year.
0: This, this year's always tough because there's so many things going on in, in the summertime for me with all the concerts and everything else. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make that happen because the only IndyCar race I've been to actually live so far has been Long Beach. So I have to get to. I want to go to one of these cool road course ones. I definitely, obviously, been to Ohio would be would be a blast. So I'm gonna mark it on my calendar for next year. So it'll check and try to get out there. So. Yeah, I just have to rent a. I just I have to rent a nice bus to get out there, though.
1: I'm telling you, because so, I know you've got. I know you've got metal blade flags the size of a, the size of a house somewhere at your place. Oh needs yeah, to fly out of the back of that.
0: Oh, that's not a problem. <laughs> we can definitely make that happen.
1: Yeah. So how do you do it, Mike? I mean, obviously you don't have the big metal blade cruiser. But how, when you when you say you're going to camp out for a few days, what's Mike Montana kind of style? Well, you know, it's this is kind of the first foray in a while. I'll tell you what it was like when I was growing up. Um, we used to go to the track because my dad actively raced, and we'd go to the track and we had our club wagon, a Ford van, rigged out so that it could sleep like four people in it. I mean, we had plywood stacked on chairs with mattresses rolled up so that we could all just sleep in the van. And, and I got memories waking up with hitting mosquito bites in some of these places, but. Um, you know, we just had so much fun, my parents, myself, my grandpa had come along some trips and that's how we did it back then. We just towed the trailer, sleep in the van and that was that. Um, but now this, this trip here, we kind of got a chance to plan ahead and we were looking around our neighborhood and we've got some neighbors two doors down that have a pop-up camper and they're awesome. Like we, we are lucky to live in a great neighborhood and, um, really, really love our neighbors and. You kind of mentioned it casually, too. I'm trying to get our foot in the door. You're like, oh, yeah, take it. We want it to be used. And so I've got, uh, I've got a camp, pop up camper that's going to be headed, headed behind the Mariner and powered a bunch of generators. So we might even have a little bit of air conditioning at night. Uh, if not, it won't be too big of a deal because it's supposed to be in the upper 60s. But yeah, we'll have a radio with an iPod dock and we'll be able to throw, throw some tunes on until, probably until midnight when they tell you it's quiet hours. But, it'll be fun because we've got a good group coming. Everybody, myself, my wife, um, yeah, my wife, it's weird to say I got married about a month ago, but uh, her brother and one of my best friends, everybody in the group likes metal, so we're going to make some friends around us. We're going to make them like it.
0: And where are you going to watch the race from?
1: That's kind of to be determined. We're showing up early enough. The race isn't until Sunday, and we're going tomorrow, which is Friday, and We plan on spending Friday and Saturday kind of scouting out the place. Uh, I think right now it looks like the best place to sit will be, I believe it's turn five and it's the entrance to the S's. And we actually, our ticket package actually has a grandstand ticket there. So we may end up there, but if we watch, uh, Saturday we're going to watch the American Le Mans series race, which is, that's a really cool series too, a lot of technology, uh, prototype cars. And we'll probably walk all around the track and watch it from different areas and and figure out where we want to watch the IndyCar guys from that's the nice part of a road course you can it's like going to a park that has a track in it you can just walk around and enjoy yourself
0: nice now penske racing my favorite driver is willpower and i guess now my second favorite driver is, is helio because penske racing has a bunch of metal heads on the team there as you know mike
1: yep yeah they, i went to indy this year and two days beforehand megadeth was there and came by the pits and Uh, one of my buddies, Mike Brown, he's a tire changer on Elio's car, and he knew that Megadeth was in town, and put it out to the PR people to get in touch with him, and, I mean, the PR folks, that are in and around sports and music and everything. They must all be interconnected in some magic web, because I don't know how they got a hold of them. I know
0: know the exact story, actually. There's a guy who works for one of the instrument companies that Megadeth is sponsored by, and he he knew, I'm not sure if he knew Mike, but he knew somebody that was connected with the team there and mentioned that Megadeth was going to be in town. They said they'd love to do it, and then they ended up obviously going there, and there's video all over the web of them hanging out with Willpower and Helio and everybody else.
1: Right. So yeah, so there you go. I mean, it's it's really cool how that can work. And I mean, Mike was just pumped, you know, because he's a big metal, old school, hardcore guy, like old DC scene. And like he's, he loves it. And so old thrash, old hardcore is really his deal. Even some like rockabilly stuff. He's just a straight up, you know, guitar, drum, bass guy. And I got, I showed up the next day and he had all these pictures with him. And it was a pretty cool moment for him. I mean, because those are, I mean, Megadeth are legends, you know, and I think it's it's not really any different because they're used to being around race car drivers that are pretty, I guess, mildly famous to some degree. You know, it's just like us being hockey players for at least some sort of notoriety, you know. But still, so when somebody walks in that you've looked up to for, or that you've really enjoyed what they've done for 25, you know, 20, 25 years, that's cool, man. I mean, I can't imagine if I was sitting in a room and somebody like, you know, Mustaine or, or Hatfield or just, or, you know, or if Chuck Billy from Testament walked in or something, I'd be <laughs> I'd be a little, you know, short on words, but that's cool stuff. I, I really wish I could have been there. With them. I missed him by like
0: a day. Oh, well, the Meg- I'm good friends with the Meg- Megadeth guys and they had an absolute blast as well. They were freaking out how cool it was and said everybody was really, really nice. All the crew guys and the drivers are really cool. So they had a good time. It's funny when you when you have that melding of of two sports, you know, or, or two sports, of sports and music where you have the big music guys meeting the big, whether it's race car drivers or hockey guys, it's, f- they're, all, both sides say the same thing. Like, oh my God, we can't believe we got to do that, we got to meet those guys. The, the musicians say that, and, and the sports guys always say that. So it's, it's fun when you see those two worlds collide like that.
1: It is, because, you know, we, it's almost funny, because we both kind of wish we were each other, you know. Yep. <laughs> just the music guys want to be sports guys. Sports guys want to be music guys. And, I mean, realistically, it's a smart thing that we stuck to what we did. But um, there's just, a, you know what, there's kind of a lot of synergies between the two, really, with being on the road and, you know, Doing different things that are just out of the ordinary of what normal folks do. And I think anytime you get people in that setting, you you have a chance to, to kind of bond over things. And I know there's a lot of people within hockey or within music that have become fans of racing because they've been to the track and they met somebody.
0: Oh, yeah. And who doesn't want to drive 200 miles an hour? Come on.
1: Sure. I mean, hey, you know, and it's, you guys are brave. I mean, you know, it's, racing is just, such a dangerous thing, and we don't. Sometimes we forget it because you know, bad things, bad things just don't happen very often anymore. And the, the Dan Weldon incident last year really highlighted that it's still a very real possibility. And these guys are gutsy, man. I don't know of anybody braver, you know, out there in sports. Hey, Mike, are you are you still allowed to race at all while you're playing hockey, or is that pretty much for until you're done? I think that. I mean, if I look hard at my NHL contract, it pretty much says. If you hurt yourself, you're out on a limb. And so that that essentially means that if I go racing and hurt myself, it's my own fault, and my contract's not going to be valid. <laughs> so, you know, there's nothing in there that will specifically say you can't race or you can't downhill ski, at least in the one that I have. Um, but you have to take those things into consideration. And as much as I'd love to go out and purchase a cart and just be able to putz around and do a low-level thing like that, is it the smartest thing for me? Probably not. And so it's something that I'm just shying away from until you know retirement seems like it's kind of a closer probability. And that's if I ever do it. I'd, I'd love to do it again, but who knows five or ten years down the road where my priorities are going to be? And you just you can never really plan that far in advance.
0: You could be like Brian Johnson from ACDC dc who was part of the 24 Hours of Daytona this year. So you never know.
1: Yeah, that was cool. And I, I mean, I got kind of a cool story from that myself. My uh, There's a guy who does commentary on speed. His name is Dorsey Schrader. And Dorsey's a St. Louis guy. Raced forever with my dad. I'm good friends with his daughter. We went to school all along together. And Dorsey's a, Dorsey's a pretty, pretty well-known individual. And Dorsey's good at holding court on the weekends. And I guess him and Brian managed to go out a couple nights in advance of that thing, and Dorsey woke up with a pretty bad rod knock, and that's his <laughs> that's his lingo for a hangover. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think they had a good time, but I mean, it's cool. You've seen people cross over like him doing the 24 hours. That's no joke. That's a real race. You've got to be pretty good to do that. And um, I mean, Bruce, my dad, my dad raced an endurance race with Bruce Jenner. I don't think he ever talked to him, but they raced the same on the same team. Um, He would usually head off to his trailer way in advance of anybody, but. You know, there's there's examples of guys crossing over and being able to do racing on the side and it's just it's something that, you know, I hate to say it, but if you have a fair amount of money, it's it's pretty accessible and it's a lot of fun to do.
0: So now this is we're taping this pre Ohio race, so I'm gonna put you on the spot now and you're gonna to have to pick a winner for the mid Ohio race that you're going to this weekend.
1: Man, you're doing it to me here. Told you I was gonna put you I'm on the spot. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm usually not very good at pick, predicting winners, but if I had to for this race, I'm gonna pick Dick, Scott Dixon. Uh just because he I've seen him run away from the field before mid Ohio. And he's been really good in the new chassis and I think that he's he's due for a win. But if he doesn't, I think I mean Will Power's gonna be good for sure. It's a road course, he's always good on him. Um I'd expect Hunter Ray in the top five. Let's see, maybe for let's Justin Wilson's always good there too, so he might be a sleeper. If you're picking somebody totally out of rough field that might end up on the podium um i'd say maybe like a mike conway or somebody just as a dark horse pick but that's a
0: good dark horse. Yeah. i'm gonna go
1: scott dixon i think he's probably i think he's probably the man to beat this weekend i did not you my best guess
0: uh, i I'm I'm gonna disagree with you, of course, just because there's so many drivers. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money on Helio, but I also being a big Will Power fan, he needs to win this weekend uh to get back in the a little closer in the points race. But Helio's been been quietly doing really well. He's won two races. Like you said, he's leading in the points now, so uh I think it might be I think Helio's gonna win mid Ohio, then Will will win Sonoma and then it sets up an interesting finale in uh, Fontana on the uh oval course so it's summertime obviously there's no hockey around so what do you what do you do in the summer because now it's not just a in the olden days you know everybody went to training camp and that's how they kind of got into shape but now it's a 12 month a year kind of job so what do you do in the off season to keep in shape and i i guess for me thinking as a goaltender the one of the most important things stay limber like how do you do that
1: yeah you're right about it being a twelve twelve month a year deal and I'd, I'd probably amend that to be like 11 and a half months because when the season ends, almost everybody just takes two or three weeks totally off. And it's just at some point, you got to recharge your batteries completely, decompress from the season, especially as a goalie because it's such a mental drain. And for me, I I haven't uh, I haven't done a lot of skating as a goalie yet. I like to put the gear up until, until about the beginning of August. And now we've got about a month and a half until training camp now, so I'm going to start skating again here soon and get my feet back underneath me. Um, but I've actually been playing forward with my dad's men's league uh, early in the morning once a week. And that's a lot of fun for me because it's like playing a different position. Um, as a goaltender, it's, it, it gets old having pucks coming at you every once in a while. You want to do the opposite thing. And and so that's what I do. I, I go and play forward once a week. Um, and then once the season ends, like I say, come home and take usually take two weeks off or so, and then get back to the gym and, The first, really for the first month or so, um, I just try to do a lot of cardio and lighter lifting and not really get into the bulk of it until um, until about June or so is when I'll start to lift heavier and heavier. And um, As a goalie, too, I mean, I'll lift heavy, but I really make sure that I spend my time stretching before and after I lift and um, keeping limber that way. And It's funny, though, because, I mean, I, I know I'll get tight if I don't do it, but, a lot of flexibility really is just a natural thing. Some guys can do it, some can't. And, um, there's a funny story about this, uh, this website I write for called dot And they had a quick chat, quick chat with Jonathan quick about his flexibility. And everybody knows that he's just, you know, massively flexible, Gumby like in the net. And they asked him what he did. And everybody was expecting like two hours a day of stretching. He was, no, I just warm up just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it, and that's kind of the way I am. I'm, I'm pretty flexible, but my body naturally does it for me. And, but, but then, you know, in the same instance, you want to make sure you stay flexible and that your muscles are limber and you don't want to get tight up, tighten at all because if you go to, if you go into the gym and start lifting heavy and, and you're not ready for it, you have to make sure you warm up before you do any of that. And that's, if you don't, that's when people start getting hurt. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll start to, start to lift heavier by June. Um, and I'll start to, I'm not as concerned about, I do a de- decent amount of cardio then, but really by July, that's when cardio starts to kick in and I'm doing twice a day, I'll usually have a cardio and a lift uh, four times a week. And then um, during the week, on one of those days, I'll usually do something different, like go play go play tennis or swim or yoga or something too. So um, it's usually five days a week um, and, and sometimes up to six if I decide that I want to do something a little more and just go for a run. But, um aside from that i play play volleyball once a week too uh that's plenty of fun for me i've I've never played sand volleyball until this this year and i'm I'm loving it and it's also made the Olympics a lot more fun to watch for me because I actually kind of know what's going on this year and it's been a blast um you lift, you said you lift a lot, but there's not a ton of bullies that are really big like muscle wise it tends to be more lean and, and and that way. Is that something you kind of have to pay attention to? Like Ricky Pietro got huge and then he got hurt a lot. So is that is that kind of a, a thing that you have to walk a little bit? Well, I'll give you my completely non-scientific answer to that question. And That's I have what I want. No basis for, yeah, I have no basis for this other than what I've seen and what I think is to be true. And that is the guys I've seen that are the biggest and the bulkiest and um, would be considered the strongest that play goalie tend to be the guys that are hurt more often than not. And I have no idea if I'm just putting this together in my head because I think that's the case and I'm not Jack and I want to make myself feel good about it. <laughs> or if it's really or if it's really the truth on it. But um you no know, guys that the guys that are getting little rails that are I mean everybody's strong but it's a different kind of strong you know you're not able to lift I mean I can't go in there and bench I can't bench 250 pounds but a forward can't go in there and do the splits like I can either you know biomechanically it's my position is what I was destined to do it seems like and that's why I've had success with it and so I I consciously try to make sure that I'm not getting massive but I also don't think that my body type would even allow me to do that unless I went like, totally head over heels on it. But, and you probably know this as well as anybody, one of the things that really struck me when I started covering hockey and, and Marty came up, and, and all through his career, Marty from Martin Brodeur, is he might be one of the most unathletic-looking guys I've ever seen. Like he, he's, There's no muscle mass at all. He, he looks like the 18-year-old puppy kid that came up and played in his first year. He's never really become... Muscular at all, and he's one of the best bowlers in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, Marty's not Marty's not defined muscular, I would say, but he's definitely. Yeah. I mean, in my eyes, Marty's a pretty big, strong guy, and it's it's more like when I was growing up, I used to call it old man strength, and I don't know if you I, guys ever called it that, but like you know yeah, your buddy's I, dad, that you know you know that if you got in trouble with him, he would just smack you over the head and a pile drive you into the ground, <laughs> but, like that type of guy, <laughs> and and you know it's there's there's not many guys left like that that um you know that can just step in and do it but you know it's it was a lot of fun to see Marty, though even um later in his career when we were teammates there and he was recovering off his injury he puts a lot of time in re- you know getting his body there and it may not exactly show in like you say being a really cut defined body type but you know he works and i think everybody at this point does but um Goaltending, so much of it really is, though. I mean, you just have to have that knack for it and that feel. And you know, physically, you can always make yourself better. But if you can't mentally process it, and if you can't get your body to be coordinated enough to do it, it's just never going to happen.
0: It seems to me that that goaltending is a bit—and don't get offended—is a bit like golf, where it's probably more, almost more mental than it is physical. Is that fair to say? I think it
1: is. Because the physical aspect of it relies so much on the mental aspect of it. And, you know, I'm, I work goalie camps in the summer and actually have my own with a guy named Bruce Racine who had a 15-year pro career. Um, you know, I spent a year in the NHL, mostly American League, IHL, some in Europe. But this guy knows the game in and out. He's done it forever. And he just harps on it so much that it's just all mental and being able to process this stuff. And when we work these camps and we see kids that are 14, 15 years old who have a lot of natural skill, but the moment something goes wrong, it all goes out the window, those are the ones we worry about. And it's the kids who have skill. It may not be the most amount of skill, but they can mentally process it. They're sharp. They know that they need to be able to control their body, get to this place, do this with their body, and they've got a better chance of stopping the puck. And so if you can mentally process it, your, your body will follow. And if you work on it long enough, then they both kind of become in sync. And, and I know for myself, I don't have the greatest athletic skills by any stretch. And you know, I haven't spent a great amount of time in the NHL. But even to make it to the American League like I have, I know that for me, I've really had to think about it and actively process what everybody around me was doing growing up to try to make myself better. And I think that a lot of the, you see it the higher you get in hockey, I, I don't think there's many dummies. Honestly, that play at the NHL level or even that many in pro. And, you know, we see him at the American League sometimes, but you have to be bright, I think, unless you're just an extreme talent. And the guys who are bright and can handle themselves, they're coachable, they can coach themselves. And I, I think that it's, that's the bulk of the guys you see now playing in the NHL.
0: So, what's the, the goal for you uh, this year going into training camp?
1: I think my goal is really the same as it is any year. And I think as a goaltender and you're in a position like myself, who's regarded as an American League veteran, and that's, that's my label. It's accurate. I don't have a problem with that. I'm totally happy. Um, Do I want to play in the NHL full time? Absolutely. I'm not content by any stretch. I'm just aware of what I'm currently known as. And if I ever want to shake that label, um, I have to play the best I can give myself an opportunity to get up to the NHL and play well and run with it. And so for a goal, I don't think it's really fair to set a goal in terms of like games played or specific numbers, even though for myself, I always want to have the say percentage near like nine twenty. That's kind of my only rule of thumb. That's where I want to be. Um, but my goal really is just play as well as I can and give our team a chance to win and make sure that my teammates will play for me. And, if your teammates will play for you as a goalie. You got a chance to win. You got a chance for management to know that you're a good person, that your team cares about, that you care about your team, that you get along, that it's a positive environment. And that stuff all pays off in the long run. And you know, if something happens to the goalies that um, are ahead of me in St. Louis's organization, hopefully I can step in. And um, you look at somebody like the perfect example of this is like Scott Clements in New Jersey. I mean, he went from being in the American League, uh the second go around with them, he was gonna be in lull and then, you know, Marty gets hurt, he comes in, plays awesome for him, and now he is you know, he set himself up for four years worth of nice contracts, playing well, showed what he could do. And you know, he's the type of guy that you can really look up to and see that even at twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty years old that opportunity's still there and I mean Tim Thomas always comes to mind too, but uh, you know it's that, it, that opportunity exists. Do you have any take on the whole Tim Thomas uh, thing and leaving the game? At pretty much, what's the fate of his career? I mean, my, I'm not in his head, so it's impossible to say. But you know, it's I can I can at least say that I understand his position of just getting, like you said, at least getting kind of worn out with it and wanting to take a year off. I can I can totally understand that. And, you know, throwing aside all the all the political thing and all that stuff, I mean, it, you can take any angle you want on that and make it your way. And I certainly know how I feel about it all, but um, that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It's, he's, you know, like you said, I guess he's just he needs to regroup and focus on some other things. And if that's what he wants to do, I mean, I can't argue with that because there's been moments in my life where, you know if i was in a position to financially do it take a year off you know i could have seen points where that would have been a good idea um you know it only lasted for about a minute or two that i thought that it didn't actually come to fruition <laughs> but um you know i it's it's interesting it'd be inter- it'd be it'd be fun to sit down and actually talk to him and and see what it pick his brain on it about how he really feels but you know i don't i don't think you're ever going to see that because privately held feelings like that are oftentimes something you don't want to put out in the public sphere.
0: Yeah, there's I think there's clearly something going on behind the scenes that, that we all don't know about that is going to force him to, you know, take take a whole year off. But should be interesting, certainly for the Bruins. So now you mentioned earlier that you've been listening to the New Testament record. What other metal stuff have you been listening to in the last few weeks?
1: New Testament for sure. Just I mean I just because I got it two days ago, you know, so um it's been on repeat new fear factory record uh, i like it a lot the new nile record uh listened to white chapel a little bit a few times um the one that man that came out i guess what back in march or april that came out right Something the, the like new that. white
0: chapel no it came out in june
1: or june okay so yeah um and i didn't really listen to it just until just recently um what else? I'm still listening to New Meshoga a lot. That album's really good. Still listening to the new Lamb of God album and hashtag free Randy Brett Life, man. I that just that situation's
0: awful, man. I-, I wish there was Hey, don't you have any friends that from the hockey players from the Czech Republic we can get on this?
1: I got a bunch. I actually got a friend, a couple friends of mine that just went over to go play in Prague because they've got a team in the in the KHL there now. And kinda of cro- it did cross my mind thinking like you know, what if I had gone over there to play and then I'm in Prague and it turns out that Randy's in jail there? Like, you know, what could I do to raise his profile? Like, if I'm on a, the KHL team in town, and yeah, thought, hey. for a second I actually thought I would have I had profile to help this. So, you know, I, I know one or two guys there, maybe I can get them to help out, but they're not metal guys at all, and they'll probably be a little bit apathetic to it, but it's a messed up situation. It, it, needs, it needs somebody to kick, to kick this thing into gear.
0: Yeah, we're all, we're all trying, that's for sure. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, even by the time that, uh, that this airs in a couple of weeks, there'll be some sort of resolution here. I mean, they can't, they can't keep him too much longer without charging him. That's the really ridiculous thing. He's been in jail for a month over there with no charges but that's a whole other subject but i agree and anybody that uh, that wants to help the Randy Bly situation by the way go to lamagod.com or go more importantly to the lamagod twitter page there's a place where you can donate probably the most important thing that he needs now is he's got a, he's hiring a team of lawyers and as we all know lawyers are not uh, inexpensive so anything uh, anybody can do to help do that so the, go to the uh, facebook.com/lamagod all the information is there for you and
1: that's and just further than that, like I've met Randy before. I met him once or twice, and I mean, I remember one time I was playing in Norfolk, Virginia, in 2006, I guess, and this was before they, you know, blown up a little bit on a national scale. I don't think they'd signed their national label. Uh, signed a, uh, are they on Epic? Whatever yeah. they're on, I don't think they'd signed their national deal yet. And, and I'm standing there. I can't remember what concert I was. I know what it was. I was watching Soil and Green, and I guess Randy's. You know he's buddies with some of those guys with like I guess Ben and some of them, and um I turn around and he's just standing right behind me, and he's just by himself, standing behind me, drove in from Richmond just to watch his buddies play and and I was one of the few people there that that recognized him because you know, like they say they weren't huge at that point, and
0: he was just really
1: cool, like I mean super guy down to earth i mean you know it's just such a sad situation i'd i sure like to see it get get worked out soon.
0: Yeah, we all have our fingers crossed. I mean, nicest guy wouldn't hurt a fly, so that's why this whole situation is so uh, ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully soon, knock on wood.
1: Yeah, right. And the saddest part of it is that, you know what, it, it just, to me at least, it stems from the stigma of metal, honestly, and the way concerts are, and because, I mean, concerts, metal concerts inherently, they are they do have an air of violence to them. It's, it, to somebody who's never seen a show before, they may not realize what it's all about or that, you know, people really aren't trying to kill each other there and, you know, what happened over there with a freak accident and a kid hit his head off of something and it's just, that's a tough go and I just, the whole metal community I mean, I think we all, we all go to shows with our eyes open and know that it's not, you're not actively trying to hurt somebody there but it's a, it's a violent release of energy and that's the way it is for a lot of people. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you think about all the shows you've been to and not even just... You want to say all the dumb things you've done, but they're not dumb. They're just the things that you do, you know, and uh, stage diving and and all that stuff. And, you know, for the grace of God, none of that's ever happened. Like, uh, all the shows I've been to, nothing like that's ever happened. And you just think about all those times you were in those positions and, you know, just one move the wrong way and things could have been different.
0: Yeah, it's just a... It's a freak... It's a freak accident, you know, it's kind of similar to what happened to, because if you don't know the story, basically the singer from Lamb of God, Randy Blythe, uh, and Lamb of God played a show in Czech Republic two years ago. Some kid was on stage four times, the security kept throwing him off the fourth time he fit, he went off, hit his head, seemed like he was okay, about Two or three weeks later he, he passed away basically he had a hematoma it 's somewhat similar to what happened to the girl in Columbus, Ohio that got hit with the puck where you know any jar any severe jar to the head if you would have fallen or banged you know hit your hand on a wall or something would have caused this there's some people that are just more susceptible this to this sort of thing that, than others and it's unfortunate but and they, for some reason, thought that Randy had something to do with this, which is completely ridiculous, and so he's sitting in this uh, jail cell in, in the Czech Republic, which we hope he gets out soon. But, yeah, it's it's just a freak thing, and it's unfortunate that, it, you know, if it happened in the States like that, usually people sue. And there's, I know that there's a lot of people talking about the family trying to sue, and that's part of the reason why this is all happening. But, uh, yeah, the whole thing is just very unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I think back to all the concerts I've been to, and, it is amazing that people don't get seriously hurt more often sometimes. And it doesn't even take a metal, a true like metal concert for that to happen. I've seen people moshing and crowd surfing at incubus concerts. Okay. And I mean, it, it all takes is people just doing something silly like that. And, you know, I remember the one year I saw, it was, a, it was a summer sanitarium tour for Metallica. And, you know, some girl goes to crowd surf and She went down and just ate the pavement. I mean, bad and I don't know how many teeth she lost or scraped up or everything but hitting your head off of stuff like that from six feet up, it's a crapshoot it is not something to mess around with and, I mean I love going to metal shows but I always stand right in front of the soundboard and, and I stay put because one <laughs> I get the to best sound and two I don't have to worry about somebody running me over
0: <laughs> not
1: expecting it you, know? you have
0: valuable <laughs> arms and legs you need to protect there of course
1: that's right yeah <laughs> Well, we've yeah, kept... I, always, I always tell people when I try to explain I always tell them, the first time I ever saw a Danzig play, it was in a little club that used to be a movie theater, so it had the sloped floor that came down, and that's where the pit was, and I, I walked in not knowing what was happening, and I was, you know, uh, 18 at the time, probably, and I'm like, oh, this looks great, this is just like hockey, this is going to be awesome, and somebody caught me with my head down and ran right over me, I I saw the footprint on my sweatshirt, and I hit my head on the floor, and I literally thought, you know, I was going to get run over, and uh Stampeded to death, and then the next day I knew there was a ring around me, somebody picked me up, and, you know, got me out of there before I actually did get hurt, and made sure, because the guy actually, you know, just lined me up for fun, he wasn't trying to mosh or anything, caught me with my head down, and they made sure he was done, like, and after that day, I was always like, hey, this is is awesome, like, this is, it's community, they're going to take care of each other, they're looking out for each other, because everybody knows if, if, if it becomes truly out of control, then the whole thing's over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if you want a good, yeah, if you want a good example of it, pick up uh, pick up "Decade of Aggression," the live Slayer album. And at one point, I remember, you know, before I'd even been to any big metal shows, Tom Reyes saying it. You know, if somebody goes down, pick them up. That's what we're here for—to help each other out. And I never forgot that. And that's—it's that's something you see exemplified at metal shows a lot. Is that if somebody ends up going down, usually somebody hops in there right away to help them back up.
0: Sounds good. Well, Mike, thank you so much for hanging out with us again. As always, you are a spectacular guest, and we much enjoy you being here. Have fun at Mid-Ohio. We will be looking at you. And if you're, at, if you're going to the Mid-Ohio race and you hear metal coming from somewhere, that's probably Mike. Go say hi. He's a nice guy. And good luck, obviously, uh, this season. And we'll, uh, we'll check in with you as the season goes along for sure.
1: Yeah, we'll have you on as a 1st time guest before we even have another one on as two time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure to come on. I really enjoy it. It's fun. It's, you know, we, we all kind of talk about all my interests here. So it's a good time. And, I mean, hopefully uh, hopefully, mid-Ohio I'll be able to tweet out a few pictures and um, you know, if you take a look at my account, at Mike McKenna56. Kind of yes. Hopefully I'll have something to do on there for people to see, and I'll if I see somebody wearing a metal blade shirt or something, I'll make sure I run up and get a picture with them and send it out to you.
0: Awesome! Thank you, thank you so much. We'll have fun there. Again, thanks for so much. Thanks so much for being on. Uh, you got Mike McKenna. What send your Twitter Twitter handle out again?
1: At Mike McKenna fifty six.
0: And I'm at Brian Slagle. And Sean's got some complicated one. What is yours again, Sean? It's,
1: it's not complicated, man. It's sroth underscore NHL.
0: The What's underscores, the underscores, awesome. screw me up though. That's the problem.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I should change it, but I I'm I'm kind of married to it
0: now. All right, well, yeah, too, you're, too, you're too late now. All right, well, thanks again, Mike. Have fun this weekend. Enjoy the race and everything else, and we'll talk to you soon.